Hebrews chapter 10. If you can cast your mind back and you were here, in December 2014, we started looking at the letter to the Hebrews. And uh, when I've been preaching since then, up, and up to September last year, we've been looking at the first nine chapters of the letter to the Hebrews. And obviously, uh, we had a time of looking at the last few chapters of Mark's gospel altogether. Uh, now we're back in Hebrews chapter 10. So I'm going to read uh, the first 18 verses of Hebrews chapter 10. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am. It is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my gods. First he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. You see, all through the letter to the Hebrews, the writer has been banging the drum with this constant refrain. His constant message that something far greater has come. He's speaking to a a largely Hebrew audience, hence the name of the letter. People who've come to know Christ out of a a Jewish background. They've they've known the old covenant. They've known the law. They've known uh, all of that with the temple and everything. And he's been constantly banging this drum. Look. Now something far greater has come. We see that all the way through. He talks about how 
as they would have understood it, the law had been given through angels bringing a message. And he points out in the early chapters, look, angels, yes, angels are amazing. But look, Jesus has come and Jesus is greater than angels. He goes on and obviously the law was given through Moses. He talks about Moses. He, he bigs up Moses. He says, look, Moses is fantastic. Moses is amazing. Moses was a great servant in the house of God. But look, Jesus has come and Jesus reigns as son over God's house. He's far greater. And he's gone on and spoken about the priesthood. And they would have been so familiar with the priesthood and the priests who offered sacrifice under the old covenant in the tabernacle and in the temple afterwards. And he said, look, Jesus came as a priest. Jesus came as the great priest. And he, he, he talks about that interesting character, Melchizedek. We looked at back in some of the earlier chapters of Hebrews. And he says, look, this is the difference. Those priests in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, they were Aaron's sons, if you like. Aaron was made high priest and then there had been a long line of priests in the order of Aaron. But now Jesus has come. And the way he describes him as being far greater, he says, he's not of the order of Aaron. He's of a wholly different order. And he says it, the order of Melchizedek. Jesus has come as the great forever king and priest. Much greater than Aaron and his sons. Much greater than all the other priests. And he's gone on in the most, more recent chapters to describe how, yeah, those priests, they served in the tabernacle. You know, Jesus, he went into the very throne room of God. Those priests served under the old covenant, but Jesus has brought in a new and greater covenant. Those priests brought sacrifices, brought sacrifices to God. But Jesus has come once for all, offering his own body, the greatest sacrifice. On and on, building this argument, banging that drum, look, you know what's come before, but something far greater has come. Till he comes to this point and he makes this statement that the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. He's compared and contrasted the old and the new all the way through the preceding chapters. And here he points, look, this was the very purpose of the law of Moses. This was the very reason for it being. It was a shadow of the realities to come. A shadow, and in that sense, the word shadow is talking about a foreshadowing, a, a picture, an image that shows us, look, look, you see the reality, this that is here now, but look, this is pointing to something even better that is coming. It shows us something of it. And he's saying in that, that the law, it's not some kind of failed experiment that he just came up with for a while. It's not now, oh, well, scrap that, try something else. No, he's saying, look, this was the whole purpose of this good, wonderful thing of the law, that it was going to point on to something even better. It was always pointing forward to something better. A picture, a representation of that that was to come. Like we could look at architectural plans or an artist's impression of a building that's being built. And for example... They're building Ikea out by 
Meadowhall Retail Park. And you can go on the council's planning website and you can see reams and reams of planning documents and pictures of, look, this is how the car park's going to look. And this is, there's going to be all these spaces. You could count them all if you wanted to. And there's going to be these rooms. And you can look, they've even got an artist's impression of, look, if you look, look at this picture, you can see exactly how, when it's finally completely finished, this is what it will look like. And it's really realistic and it's wonderful. But it's not the finished thing. And I don't know what you think about IKEA. And either, either it's not as bad as the finished thing or it's not as good as the finished thing. But I can't look around the plan. I can't go and experience what it's going to be like to go on the endless journey through IKEA through and, and where it's going to be. And I'll get to a cafe at some point. Will I? Okay. I can't get the full experience. But it points towards it. It shows me something of what the reality of Ikea in Sheffield is going to be. Or similarly, we can look at a picture of someone. Look at those three lovely pictures, one for each congregation. So at 9.30 I talked about Dan, so now I'm going to talk about Chris Chart. Chris is in the middle. Obviously, we can look at a picture of someone. I can look, I've got a copy of it here. I can look at a picture of Chris Chart and I can think, well, I can get some idea about him and I can see he's got a really lovely plain t-shirt on and he's got a bit of a beard going on, that's great. I can see something of what he looks like. But in reality, I can't talk to the picture. I can't hear from the picture. I can't get any kind of real experience of meeting with Chris. But I get some idea of, oh, well, if Chris walked into the room, I could recognise him from that. And the writer to the Hebrews is kind of pointing out, look, the law was the shadow of what was to come. It gives us an idea. We can see something of what is coming. The picture doesn't need to stay. It's all right. For Chris's, for Chris's embarrassment's sake, it can come down. And, and to be fair, Chris Marriott still doesn't know that picture's going up. Never mind. Dan does because he was here earlier. But he's saying, look, the law was pointing towards. It, it, it gives us a bit of a sense of what was coming. But it's not the reality itself. And in these verses, the author looks at what it means for the law to be a shadow of the good things that are coming. He looks directly at the sacrifices that were offered under the, under the law. And we can pull out four things, four aspects of the law as a shadow of the good things to come. So let's look at the first four verses to start with. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly after, year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered? For the worshippers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. But those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. We see firstly in these verses, the shadow cannot make us perfect. Now, like many people, this morning I had a shower. You'll be pleased to know. I had a shower this morning to get clean. 
You might have had a bath last night. You might... Anyway, I'm not going into everyone's personal habits in terms of showering and bathing, but I'll ask you a question. Can a shower fully deal with dirt? Can it deal with the problem of being dirty? In one sense, of course, it can. But if it could fully deal with dirt, I could get out of the shower and say, look, I am clean, I never need to shower again. Which I'm not saying. This is what he's talking about here. The law couldn't fully deal with sin. The law couldn't perfect the people it was, it was interceding on behalf of. It could not make people perfect, as it says in verse 1. And his reasoning for that is just as I've said. Otherwise, they would have stopped. You wouldn't have needed to keep making them. If a shower could fully deal with dirt, I really wouldn't have to go and have another one. But I know that definitely by tomorrow, I need another shower. And then another shower. He puts it bluntly in verse 4. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. You see, the sacrifices under the law, under the old covenant, they couldn't properly do the job. They couldn't fully deal with sin. They couldn't deal with the problem of sin. But that leads us to see that actually, rather than dealing with the problem of sin properly, rather than making people perfect, rather they are a reminder of sin. That's what it says in verse 3. Those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. And we see in this case, he's focusing specifically on the Day of Atonement, that special day for the Jews when once a year, they offered sacrifices day after day, but once a year, very particularly, there was this big ceremony and the, the, the sins of the nation were, were dealt with for that year. But what does he say they are? An annual reminder of sin. A reminder of the problem of sin. A reminder of the real seriousness of sin. That again, this year, we've got to come back and deal with it. We've got to come back and offer the goat and send the goat out into the wilderness as the scapegoat. All those different things that you can look at back in the Old Testament if you want to later on. All these different things that they had to do in the perfect way, in the, the right ceremonial way. Which reminded them, look, this is the big problem we have. Our sin which separates us from God. As Paul reminds us so clearly in Romans chapter 3 verse 20. He says something very similar to the, to the writer to the Hebrews. He says in Romans 3 verse 20. Therefore no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of our sin. You see, the law and the sacrifices and everything about it, the commands that they had to follow, the, the sacrifices that had to be made, they just showed how much of a problem sin was. It showed how clearly, and every year, this was a reminder to them. Every year as they came back to the Day of Atonement, look, we've got to come back again. Look at this problem of sin. Going back to the image of a shower, in one sense, that's exactly what a shower does. 
every day or every week, I've got to keep coming back every day or every week. I def it's definitely every day in my case. Anyway, uh, we can get clean, but ultimately, it's not going to deal with the problem properly. I've got to keep coming back. It reminds me, I've got to keep coming back. I've got to keep coming back. And the law did that for the people of Israel, reminds them of the problem of sin. Let's move on, verse 5 to 10. We've seen so far, it cannot deal with sin. It cannot make us perfect. Rather, it is a reminder of sin. In Hebrews 10, verse 5, he goes on, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. And in quoting, he's quoting Psalm 40, prophetically declaring the message of Christ as he came into the world. What Jesus was bringing as he came in. And you see, the writer of the Hebrews goes on to explain why he's quoting it here. Why he's saying, well look, this is what Jesus was saying. In verse 8, he says, First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. And he'll go on to say that there's a second thing. Here I am, and I've come to do your will. And we'll look at that a bit later on. But he sets up these two things and says that the second, the first is set aside to be replaced by the second. But first and foremost here, what did he say in this first thing? First and foremost, he says, the sacrifices, though they were offered in accordance with the law, ultimately did not please God. The third thing we see, ultimately they didn't please God. They couldn't deal, they couldn't make us perfect. Instead, they were a reminder of sin and they couldn't ultimately please God. Though they were in accordance with the law. Is it a bit deeper than just, well, they weren't very good. You didn't do them very well, so they didn't please God. He's saying, no, though they were offered in accordance with the law, ultimately, fundamentally, this was never going to be able to fully please God. By coming and offering these sacrifices, it was never going to be enough to earn his favor. It was never going to be enough to please him. And what's our writer saying? Why is this the case? Because they were a shadow of what was to come. Because they were only a shadow of what was to come. Not the reality itself. Not the real deal that was going to please God, that was going to satisfy God's wrath against sin, that was going to deal with it completely. No, they were just a shadow. And ultimately, they couldn't please God. Message for us, we, we can't either please God by our own actions. We can't earn our, his favour by our works. We can't come to him and earn our way in. The sacrifices of the old covenant could not please God. And as he goes on, this is apparent, and he goes on to say something else as we look at verse 11 to 14. As he moves on from there. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. 
day after day. He set this out already in verses 1 and 2. Look, these sacrifices were repeated endlessly year after year. They had to keep coming back and keep coming back. As he said, look, for that reason, look, we can see they they couldn't properly deal with sin. Otherwise, they would have stopped. But this is the point, the fourth point. The shadow, the sacrifices under the law, they were never finished. They could never be finished. Day after day, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. It kind of drums up that kind of image of running on a treadmill. If you've ever run on a treadmill, you'll know. You keep putting one foot in front of the other. Ultimately, you're actually not going anywhere. Now, this is not to decry the benefits of running on a treadmill. Obviously, you're still running. But bear with me. If you look at physical space, you're not going anywhere. You're just running on the spot. You're not going anywhere, day after day. Step after step, I'm running and running, and I'm still exactly where I was before. The priest kept going and going, day after day after day. They were standing before God, making the sacrifices, but never getting there, never fully meeting the mark, never fully earning God's favour, never completely pleasing him, never dealing fully with the problem of sin. Always remembering, always aware, always in the forefront of their mind, the problem of sin. So we see here the shadow, the law, and its limitations as a shadow of the things to come. The writer's so keen that they grasp it, that they understand, that they don't like the Jews around them that they previously worshipped alongside, that they don't like them rely on this law, rely on it, rely on those sacrifices to save them. Because his point is, look, they were a shadow of the thing to come. As we've already quoted, Paul's clear in Romans 3, verse 20, no one will be declared righteous in God's sight by the works of the law. Our efforts, the efforts under the old covenant of the law, were never going to make someone righteous. Rather, through the law, we become conscious of sin. And as he says here, no, look, It was but a shadow. Don't rely on it for salvation. See it for what it truly is. See it for what it is, because actually it's quite good at being what it truly is. The law is a good shadow. Because as a shadow, it points constantly, wonderfully, always to Jesus. To him who was coming, to the reality that was coming no longer a shadow but the reality come so let's move on let's read verses 8 to 18 again through to the end because the shadow pointed towards something that was real something that was wonderful the sacrifice of Jesus verse 8 first he said sacrifices and offerings burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire nor were you pleased with them though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, 
Here I am, I have come to do your will. And he sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First he says, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. See, the law as a shadow is a wonderful shadow in pointing towards a glorious reality. A glorious reality in Jesus. And we can look at those four limitations of the law. Limitations of the shadow. The fact that they cannot make us perfect. The fact that they're merely a reminder of sins. That they can't fully please God. And that they're never finished. And we can look and see in these wonderful verses that where it cannot make us perfect, he in Jesus has made us perfect. Let's go to the next slide. In chapter 10, verse 14, we see that glorious line, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Where the law couldn't make us perfect, Jesus in coming and his perfect sacrifice has made a way, has made a way for sin to be completely dealt with. For the people to be completely cleansed, to be completely clean. Where the law could not, in that it was impossible for the bull, blood of bulls and calves to make uh, someone clean. No, Jesus, his blood, his perfect sacrifice does make us clean. He's already made the comparison in chapter 9, verse 13. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You see, the law does impart, it does, it's got a kind of feeling, it can make ceremonially clean, it can make us outwardly clean. They could kind of deal with things for the time. And yet it pointed towards something that would deal properly, inwardly, with our hearts, with our consciences, with the problem of sin itself, the blood of Jesus. Where it could not make us perfect, he has made us perfect. And therefore, where the shadow was a reminder of sins. Now, God, through this wonderful uh, quotation from Jeremiah, shows us that God remembers our sins no more. This wonderful truth. The shadow. It provided a reminder of sins year after year after year, but pointing towards the day when one sacrifice would deal with sins forever. And now God says... 
through that prophecy in Jeremiah, in verse 17 here in Hebrews 10, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. That wonderful truth in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins and transgressions from you. The shadow provided a reminder, but now look, in Jesus, sin is dealt with. Sin is dealt with so that God, as we come and seek forgiveness through Christ, God remembers our sins no more. No longer a reminder year after year. No, God has dealt with it. Because thirdly, where God was not pleased with the sacrifices, God is so pleased with Jesus. We see this contrast as he explains the Psalm 40 quotation in verses 8 and 9 here. First he said, sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them. Though they were offered in accordance with the law, then he said, Jesus saying, here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second. And by that will, we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. God wasn't pleased. God couldn't be ultimately pleased with the sacrifice. God couldn't accept the sacrifices of the Old Testament as payment for sin in completion. But Jesus came and did his will. Jesus came and perfectly followed the will of the Father. So the Father is so pleased with him. The Father is so pleased with what Jesus has done. As Jesus came, obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And in so doing, became the perfect sacrifice for sin. God looks on and he is pleased to accept his offering. And so fourthly, where before it was never finished, the priest stood day after day, now it is finished. Those sacrifices went on and on, never coming to an end. Day after day, year after year, an annual reminder And yet now, in verse 10, by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And he uses this wonderful picture. The priest stood day after day, standing, offering. Now Jesus, having offered once for all, sat down. God said, come and sit at my right hand. He's done it. It is finished. He's no longer standing, serving, offering a sacrifice again and again. No, he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. So you see, the writer to the Hebrews is trying to put this across to his writers. The law is the shadow of the reality to come. You know so much of the law. You understand it so well from your background, from your history. Now see in reality what it really is and what it was really pointing towards. If ever you're tempted to go back to it, if ever you're tempted to say, oh, I need to offer these sacrifices to earn my way. No, understand. It's not in that sense a choice. Well, law or go back to the law or Jesus. No, the law is pointing to Jesus. 
The law was always pointing to him in the first place. Pointing to the wonderful reality of the fact that Jesus deals with us in a way that the shadow of the sacrifices under the law never could. There's those wonderful verses that he quotes at the end from Jeremiah. Sum it up in two ways. Firstly, this is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Firstly, Jesus deals with our hearts. Not just an outward cleansing, not just an outward cleansing that they have to keep coming back to repeat. No, Jesus deals with our hearts. The law could never fully deal with our hearts. It was only dealing with the outward. But now the realities come and we can have clean consciences, clean hearts. We can have hearts that are turned towards God. And secondly, as we've already looked at, he deals wonderfully with our sin. In saying their sins and lawless acts, I will remember no more because it is finished. You see, he's at pains to point out the law is the shadow of the things to come. He's making it clear, the law, he's not saying the law is horrible, the law is terrible. No, actually, he's saying the law is wonderful. But why? Because it points to Jesus. Because it points forward to the day that has now come when Jesus came and fulfilled the law and made a way that the law never could. And so our charge, as theirs was, is to rejoice in this wonderful reality of Jesus the Saviour. He's so keen to get this across, as he's going to go on to say in the next verses, which we'll look at in more detail another time. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, open for us through the curtain, that is his body. Since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings. Having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Never turn away, he's saying. Draw near to God through Jesus. This is the way. This is the true way. Never turn away to anything else. Don't go back to the law. Why? Because it's bad? No. Not really. That's not his point. But actually by understanding, respecting and honouring the law properly in that it pointed to him. You see, if I go back to my picture of Chris... Provides me with a great representation of what Chris looks like. But if Chris turns up and I just go on looking at the picture, it makes no sense. The picture provided a great... (laughs) a great foreshadowing of what it would be like to have Chris with me and around me and I'll be able to speak with him and be with him and talk to him. But if I, once Chris has already arrived, he hasn't, has he? No, 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 of course not. If Chris has already arrived and I'm just going on thinking, what a wonderful picture, what a wonderful sense of what he he looks like and everything. I wish I had a t-shirt like that. (laughs) 
then it makes no sense whatsoever. If Chris has really arrived, then I need to come to him. I need to come to him. I can come and I can be with him. I can speak with him. I can talk to him. I can embrace him. I can shake his hand. But if I'm just looking at the picture still, thank you, Chris. It makes no sense at all. The writer is so keen that they would understand. Jesus has come. Stop looking. Don't ever think to just look at the shadow that was there before. Come to him. Come to him. That was the point. That was the point. And so for us too, wherever we can get tempted to look away to anything else, to think, I can do this myself, I can earn my way, I can do... Perhaps we don't think we look back to the law in the same way. Maybe we didn't grow up in the, the, the law in the same way that the Jews may have done, but we can still think, I can do it. I can do this. I need to do this myself. No. That's a shadow. Come to him. Come to him and find the salvation that he provides. Find the rest that he provides. Find the grace that he provides. The law was a shadow of the reality to come. Let's rejoice in that wonderful reality. Let's pray together.